0: From the newsroom
1: of The Washington Post. Hi, good afternoon. This is Tolu Olorunipo
2: with The Washington Post. Hi,
0: this is Amy Britton calling from The Post.
2: This is Peter Jamison from The Washington Post. This is Post Reports.
0: I'm Martine Powers. It's Thursday, July 29th. Today, critical race theory debated.
1: We don't even, not even for a
0: second, think about race. Plus, breakthrough infections— Traverse City, Michigan, is one of several places in the country where white parents are fighting against racial equity education.
1: The problem is we are one human race. These parents say they don't
0: want their kids being taught to be ashamed of their race or their country.
1: We are not to look at each other. And what you guys are doing, you are actually performing and controlling these children to actually take a look at the skin color. It's not about the race color. It's not about the um, culture. It's not about that.
3: The interesting thing to me about Traverse City was right before this battle came to that town, they had a undeniably racist incident on Snapchat where a group of mostly white students pretended to trade their black classmates into slavery. This happened in April.
0: These kids made a chat thread and titled it Slave Trade. Hannah Naitenson is an education reporter with The Post.
3: I spoke to a student who was targeted, who's named Neveah Wharton, and she is 16 years old, and she is biracial.
0: I know how much I was sold for. What was it? A hundred dollars. And in the end, I was given
3: a way for free.
0: Hannah saw screenshots of messages in this thread. One said, "quote All blacks should die." Another said, "Let's start another Holocaust." As soon as I saw the screenshots, everything kind of like sunk in, and I realized how disgusting. The entire thing was how, like, I, I got really upset about it because those were classmates that I saw in the hallways. And here they are talking disgusting things about me and other students. I never thought that, like, they'd think that was okay.
3: There was a lot of outrage in the community. The county prosecutor's office opened an investigation, and the school started an investigation
0: Around 16,000 people live in Traverse City. It's also more than 90% white. And now this incident is tied up in the campaign against critical race theory. CRT is this decades-old academic framework that basically says that racism is systemic in the United States. And now it's become this political catch-all for conservatives who don't want racial equity work in schools. People like Darcy Pickren.
1: We don't even not even for a second think about race. Mm. We never would. And I think that this is opening a can of worms and we are not going to be able to go back.
0: There is a particular can of worms that she's worried about. It's this anti-racism resolution that was just passed this week by the Traverse City Area Public Schools, the same school system attended by the kids who auctioned off their black classmates over Snapchat. The resolution calls for reevaluating the curriculum through a, quote, social equity and diversity lens. But the origin story of this resolution goes back to before the mock slave trade, And we are going to dig into why white people in this community have been trying to stop this measure and how it's costing students a greater understanding of the world.
3: It sort of traces its roots all the way back to the killing of George Floyd and nationwide protests against systemic racism that started the school system in Traverse City, thinking about ways to make itself a more welcoming place, which a lot of school systems have been doing.
0: So I just want to say, I mean, what it sounds like they were proposing seems pretty reasonable, right? Like racial sensitivity for teachers, more inclusive reading list for students, talk about diversity and about history of racism in America. Like what what was the reaction to this proposal? At first,
3: pretty muted, but as details gradually spilled out, people read about it in the local paper, the Traverse City Record Eagle. At first, there was some really strong support, especially from families of color who, in interviews, their children had told me what it was like to go to school in an extremely white place. Black students told me about hearing the N-word casually almost every day. A Native American student told me about being asked constantly if she lived in a teepee. And then at one point being told she wasn't a real Native American if she didn't live in a teepee. So from those people, it drew support. But it also started to draw backlash and that backlash has built and built until at a recent board meeting there were people protesting outside the school
1: this resolution is negative pessimistic and imposes toxic assumptions on our children
3: and the backlash is from mostly white and conservative parents who i spoke to for this story and they all sort of explained to me how they became concerned And it does tie in to what's happening nationally with Republicans and conservatives, you know, leading sort of a campaign against critical race theory.
0: What did they say about why they felt like this was something that they needed to protest?
3: So I spoke to a group of women, all white women, in mid-July, and all of these women are have been opposing the school's equity work, the women had carefully looked at the language of the resolution and what it would do. And they feel that the whole thing is laced with critical race theory, which based on their research online, they understand it to be a way of looking at the world solely through a racial lens. And what they believe is that the equity resolution, it might sound nice, But what it's going to really do is teach students that all they are is their race and it will teach children that they must be divided, that there are black children and white children and Native American children and we're all divided and our race is going to determine who we are and what we do. And they believe it's going to cause more division in the town. And the condition of the interview was that uh, some of the women wanted to be anonymous because they feared harassment or backlash in their town. But the overall condition was that if I identified them as white, I also had to specify that they felt uncomfortable with that designation because they do not believe that race is or ever should be relevant. Two of the women in particular that I spoke with are Lori White, who is a 41-year-old mother of two who has lived in Traverse City her entire life. I've never seen any sort of discrimination. People in Traverse City are just kind. And Darcy Pickren, who is 67 and who also is white and has had kids and grandkids. The kids graduated from the school system and she said she identifies as white but with both Native American and Irish ancestry.
1: I mean, first of all, the Social Equity Task Force is biased and prejudiced. Yes. And is already Mm -hmm. discriminating. Yes. Mm -hmm. They're not fair. They're not transparent. And they don't listen to all viewpoints to confirm that all voices are heard. But what
0: did they have to say about this Snapchat episode and the fact that it seems like there are reasons that students need to be educated more about race and, and the fact that families of color are also supporting this?
3: Well, they say that they think the Snapchat incident is an isolated thing and that it is unfair that some people are looking at one incident among kids who are always going to be kids and try to do edgy stuff and saying Traverse City is a racist place. And these women who are white and grew up In a place that is overwhelmingly white said they've never seen any discrimination in Traverse City and that they think it's a kind place and the people they know are kind and that everyone is trying to do their best and they think you know that this resolution is what's going to actually cause the real divisions they don't think divisions are happening now in their hometown
1: where are we going to end up down the road Mm -hmm. we are going to end up down the road And you you can call it whatever race, whatever worldview, whatever religion, whatever color skin you are, somebody is going to lose. And they're going to lose big time. So who else have you been talking to in addition to these
0: parents?
3: I talked to a lot of kids. I actually tried to talk to the the kids of these women because what I was most interested in knowing was how the students feel about all of this because those are the people who have the most at stake. And that's another reason I picked Traverse City is that I noticed a lot of students were speaking up at board meetings. And so I was hopeful that I could find children who had thoughts. And I wanted to talk to children with all kinds of thoughts, but I was told by these women that their children were not willing to speak with me because the children were scared of being labeled racist at school or were not interested in talking with me because they were already feeling shut out at school for having conservative beliefs. So I did talk to a lot of other children, though. I talked to children of color and I talked to white children in families that are supportive of the equity resolution and that work that the school system is doing. I talked to a Native American student. I talked to a black student. I talked to two black students. I talked to several white families as well.
0: So what were some of the perspectives that you heard from these students that you talked to?
3: From students of color, I heard a lot about how there's just been years and years of casual racism and and sexism and homophobia. And I heard that confirmed by some of the white students, too, who said they'd noticed it. For example, kids in math class tossing the N-word or a stand-in for the N-word, Niagara, back and forth to try to be transgressive while Congrats. not getting Yeah. While not getting in trouble with the teacher. One girl said, you know, there's only one girl of color in her grade and a lot of the other kids like to call her Lilo, like from the movie Lilo and Stitch, because she's the only kid with darker skin. So a lot of the kids, you know, spoke about that. And the the students of color could directly talk about what it had been like to face the the n-word every day at school like one student i talked to a he's heard it like ever since middle school and he said it just it has on days that he hears it he has more trouble doing his schoolwork or taking his tests. it's just like a weight and it sits with him and it sits with him all the time
2: it was mostly just like just people using it as jokes. People just the N-word. yeah, but I I kind of feel like it got a little bit worse in high school again. From it was just a lot more people. They didn't they didn't think it was serious or something mm-hmm. like that. They didn't they don't understand how it makes me feel, so they just toss it around and don't really care.
3: Of course, those students did feel that they wanted their schools to teach more and more accurately about racism, and they could directly state the consequences. I also spoke to. Cameron Wuchik, who is eight years old and is white and is going into third grade. And where do you guys live? You live close to here? Uh, Yeah. And you lived here your whole life? Yes. The first time she learned about racism was last year in second grade.
1: I just It wasn't fair.
3: And she said learning about that made her really sad, but that she wants to learn more and more about it as much as she possibly can because although it made her sad, it made her want to help and to understand what had gone wrong before.
2: I don't really know what it feels like to have a different skin tone, but I know to a lot of other people that I don't think it would be, like, very... I wouldn't be happy if I had a different skin tone and people bullied me about it.
3: So she thinks she needs to learn more about it so she can make sure America doesn't do that again, which I thought was really interesting because this is someone who has never talked about this issue before. Her Mm -hmm. mom was very nice in letting me ask her these questions when her mom had never asked her this stuff before because her mother just wanted to know, you know, what does my daughter think? What does my eight-year-old think? So an untaught eight-year-old was asking for more education, which I thought was a very interesting counterpoint to some of what the parents concerned about critical race theory are arguing.
0: Yeah, I'm curious if there were other perspectives you heard from these kids about what it's like for what they are being taught at school to be the center of such intense controversy. Like, what did they think about the backlash, the school board meetings, the protests?
3: So... A lot of them are trying to ignore it, actually. I mean, I think, and for one thing, they have summer jobs, their kids, you know, I asked them, are you going to the board meetings? No. Are you watching the board meetings? No. I mean, typically kids in school systems don't tend to watch the board meetings. But I will say one thing that struck me was that one of the kids said, it feels like all the adults are speaking for us. Mm. And so I do think even though they're not engaging with this directly, Some of them really are wishing that they could have more of a voice and that there was less noise from the adults.
0: So what were some of your takeaways from hearing these kids?
3: Some of my takeaways were that kids of all different ages and races uniformly were telling me they don't think their school is doing an adequate job of teaching American history or teaching about racism and why it's bad. And they want to learn more and they see the consequences of failing to teach this stuff every day. For the black student, it's facing the N-word. For the Native American student, who also happens to identify as queer, it's being called a homophobic slur regularly. And she also noticed that, you know, for example, the way the school teaches Andrew Jackson, they say he was a bad president and then they move directly to how did he become president? How did that happen? Mm. And for her, it's deeply personal why he was a bad president. You know, her family has taught her that history by asking her to read books on her own. And so she can't understand why the school system would want to move past that. So I think my main takeaway was that despite everything going on and and the controversy and the loudness in their town, these kids just wanna learn and they think it will help them and it will help their peers and it will help eventually society uh, if kids can learn more and more accurately about racism.
0: How do you think that this conversation in Traverse City reflects other conversations that are happening around the country?
3: I think it's the same conversation. And that's one reason why I knew I wanted to go someplace and write about this, because the same type of controversy is happening everywhere in the nation. I cover Virginia schools normally. One of the counties I cover, Loudoun County, has become basically the poster child for this. It's gotten so vehement there that there was an arrest at a school board meeting. Oh my gosh. What I think is at base of it, you can use the word critical race theory, but what I think at base is people are asking themselves the question, is this a racist place? And they're talking about where they live and they're talking about the country. And what's also happening, especially in majority white places that are politically divided, is there are radically different answers that are emerging to that question. And how you answer that question is going to be shaped by who you are and the color of your skin and what your experiences are. And then how you decide to move forward is what's being fought over most vehemently right now. If we're going to do equity work and do work that tries to explain race and racism better to students or if we're not.
0: Anna Natinson is an education reporter with The Post. This story was produced by Jordan Marie Smith. And now one more thing. As more cases of the Delta variant appear across the U.S., we have watched governments try to work out ways to address it. Vaccine mandates or renewed indoor masking requirements. But still, some vaccinated people are getting anxious over the rate of breakthrough infections. And that's when someone who is vaccinated still tests positive for COVID.
3: So Ben, I am vaccinated. I have been for a few months, but I am still kind of nervous.
0: That's producer Rennie Svarnovsky. She talked to health and science reporter Ben Gorino.
3: I feel like I keep seeing stories about breakthrough infections among vaccinated people. And my mom actually called me the other day to warn me and to remind me to mask up whenever I'm indoors, even if you know the shop or restaurant doesn't require it. So I'm wondering, like, what's up? Why are we seeing breakthrough infections? Are our vaccines working? Are they failing? Please, please help.
2: Don't worry about all the breakthrough infections that you're hearing about. It seems like they're everywhere, but they're not unexpected. And these don't mean that the vaccines are failing. The vaccines are working really well to protect us from severe disease and death.
0: OK, in that case, what what's happening? Why are we seeing these breakthroughs?
2: So there's this conception that vaccines are like bug zappers. And as soon as a microbe or a pathogen touches us, it's a zap and then the virus dies. But that's not actually how vaccines work. Instead, you can think of them a little bit more like a bug trap. So the bug falls into the trap wriggles around a bit and then the poison inside kills it and and that's kind of how vaccines work the virus might get in our nose it might take a day for these immune fighters to come but when they do they'll do a really good job at defeating that that virus what's probably happening is that in these cases people are getting repeatedly tested so in the case of olympic athletes and yankees players they have to get tested regardless whether or not they show symptoms and what those tests can do is they might pick up some virus in your nose or in your saliva and the vaccines aren't going to be able to stop that necessarily you can still have a little bit of virus inside your nasal cavity, but that doesn't mean that the vaccines aren't protecting you. And if people aren't being frequently tested, it's possible that you might have a breakthrough infection and you'd never know. Maybe you have mild symptoms and you just dismiss it as a cold, or you can have the coronavirus in your nose and you just never notice because the vaccines are making sure that you don't get sick. One reason I don't think people should be so worried about breakthrough infections is because hospital data show that 97% of people who are in the hospital are unvaccinated. Almost all the people who die of COVID right now haven't had the vaccine. And so if you're in an area... Where there's high rates of local transmission and you're worried about breakthrough infections, you can wear a mask and you can do some of the precautions that we've been hearing about for a year and a half now. But I would just say there's lots of things to worry about right now. Breakthrough infections in general aren't really one of them. One of the best things we can all do if we're worried about breakthrough infections is really encourage other people in our community to get vaccinated. Getting your local community vaccinated is going to protect you from getting any kind of infection, breakthrough or not.
0: Ben Guarino is a health and science reporter for The Post. This story was produced by Rennie Svarnovsky. that's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Renny Svernovsky. On tomorrow's episode of Post Reports, a story that we've been working on in collaboration with our friends at the podcast Throughline about the 1983 U.S. invasion of Grenada.
1: I take it personally. Don't take anything personally. It's not against you. Yes, it is against me. It was my country. It was my process. I was giving my life for that. I believed in that, you know? And, um... I still feel hurt, wounded, and betrayed.
0: I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.
2: Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, The Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're gonna learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you
0: listen.